In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, today is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and we meditate on the historical account of the transfiguration of our Lord. So before getting into the events of the transfiguration itself, uh, we need to first go over what took place in the events leading up to that very moment. So six days before the transfiguration, uh, the Bible says this. It says, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And right after Jesus says this, Peter takes Jesus aside and then says to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, do you know how uh, presidents elect and appoint advisors to help counsel them through things on certain topics? So they'll appoint an advisor on the, to suggest the next best step, uh, what to say and what to do in certain situations. They're experts on things. Well, I think this is what Peter kind of views himself as, as the Lord's advisor. He sees Jesus as the president, right? But Peter views himself as his advisor, And so the specific advice that Peter is giving to Jesus is this. He says, don't go to Jerusalem and die. What good is it going to be if you die, if you suffer and die in this way? What's the point? I know a better way. Just stay away from all the suffering and stay away from Jerusalem. Now, what Peter says is foolish, but it's not just foolish. It's actually evil and demonic. And we know this because of how Jesus responds to Peter. Peter says, look, avoid the cross. Don't go to Jerusalem and don't go die. And Jesus responds by saying what? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And Jesus exposes Peter's words exactly for what they are, a full attack on the Lord, on the Christ from the devil himself. Peter isn't the devil, of course, but his words are from the devil. And these words are not just foolish or unsolicited advice. They're a serious problem, a serious temptation for Jesus to abandon the work that he came to do, the chief work, which is to suffer and die. Now, you need to learn this well because there is a great temptation for us to try and conceive of Christ apart from his cross or to remove the one from the other and to try to conceive of God's love or his grace and his mercy apart from his bitter suffering and death on the cross. So this is a very terrible thing. Yes, people will do this explicitly, but I'm warning you about how this is done implicitly and in subtle ways. If you go to the average Christian's Uh, Christian church or home, what will you see? You'll see a painting of Jesus with children in a field or Jesus doing a miracle or Jesus in a manger or any number of things. Now, I'm not saying that artwork of Jesus in these ways is a bad thing or that it's wrong to depict him in these ways. I'm not saying that. But what I have noticed is that people who have so much artwork of Jesus in all of these many and various ways, 
typically won't have any artwork of Jesus in one specific way. And that is him on his cross. Even more, I've noticed that people love singing hymns about God's amazing mercy or grace and love and peace, but don't really like the hymns that talk about how Jesus achieved that grace and mercy and peace for us through his death. Besides that, how many people show up to church on Christmas and Easter, and yet you can't even pay those same people to show up on Good Friday? The day when the Lord spills his blood for the sins of the world, that he lays down his life for all. You look at the most popular sermons in Christian books and Christian songs, and they don't talk about Jesus' suffering and death. You go to the largest and most well-attended big box churches, and there's not a cross or crucifix in sight. And the sermon is void completely of the preaching of the forgiveness of sins won through Christ's suffering and death. So do you see a trend here? We are so comfortable seeing Jesus anywhere in the world except on his cross, except on the thing that he has set his sights upon. And and in this way, we're no different from Peter who did all he could from seeing Jesus suffer and die like that. We, we hate suffering, so we want to avoid our own suffering, and we want to avoid looking at Jesus' suffering. All right. Now, that exchange between Peter and Jesus happened six days ago. Uh, six days later, today, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain with him, and when they journey to the top of the mountain, The text says this, it says, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, this is a stunning and glorious scene. Peter sees it with his very eyes. He's an eyewitness. He sees Moses and Elijah there. Uh, We don't know quite exactly how Peter recognizes them, but we think Most likely, the way Peter recognizes Moses and Elijah is because he was listening to their conversation. And this is an amazing thing. So Jesus stands there with the prophets of the Old Testament who have died hundreds and thousands of years before. uh, And they are alive there with him. And Peter, James, and John are there. And Christ's flesh is shining forth his glory and majesty. And Peter loves this. But what were Jesus and Moses and Elijah talking about? The Gospel of Luke chapter 9 says this. It says, They spoke about Jesus' departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The word for departure here in Greek is exodus, which means the way out. So it's the way out of what? Jesus was telling them of his way out of this life the kind of end that he would meet on the cross, how he would suffer and die in Jerusalem, just like he told the disciples six days earlier. So here, Jesus is with the the apostles from the New Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, and Jesus has one thing on his mind, and that is his own cross, his suffering and his death once again. In the moment of the greatest glory, in the moment of Christ's earthly life, he is talking about his death. Now, what do you think is going through Peter's mind? 
Here Peter is basking in the light of God's glory. And here Jesus is talking about his death. And we know Peter doesn't like it. So what does Peter do? The text tells us he interrupts the conversation again. And he offers his own advice to Jesus. And he says this. He says, it is good, Lord, for us to be here. And we oftentimes think, oh, look, what a nice and beautiful sentiment. So pious. Isn't that nice? He wants to stay here with Jesus, don't we all? And the truth is that these words are not good. It is not a good thing. Because now when you see it in the context, you see what Peter is actually trying to do. Peter is trying to get Jesus once again to avoid the cross. So Peter says, it's good for us, Lord, to be here in your glory as opposed to down there on the cross and in the suffering. It's good for us to be here with all of this light and life and glory and salvation away from all of the darkness and the suffering. So let's just stay here. Forget about everybody else. We'll just make tents here and we'll just stick here for the rest of our lives. And while Peter is saying this, while he's trying to keep Jesus from doing the thing he came to do, the scriptures say that while Peter was in mid-sentence, God interrupts him and it says this, Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. This is not just friendly advice. The father is cutting off Peter from talking and silencing him. And it's as if God said this. It's as if he tells Peter, look, stop. Stop giving him advice. Stop talking. Stop telling Jesus to do something else. Stop trying to keep Jesus from his cross. With all of your intelligence and all of your knowledge, stop thinking that you know what is best. This is my beloved son, and he desires what is good and holy. He desires to lay down his life for the world, and with him, I am well pleased. I love him. He's doing the right thing. This is what he was sent to do, what he was born to do. And he will turn his face to Jerusalem, and he won't turn back. He's determined to suffer and die for the world. So be quiet and listen to him. And that is the point. It's true that God wants us to listen to everything that Jesus says, all of the word of God. But the chief thing that God wants us to listen and pay attention to is what Jesus says about his own suffering and death. And this is because God knows that we want glory. He knows that we want an end to our sadness, our broken hearts, our shame and death and pain and illness. We want an end to this. And Jesus wants nothing more than to do that for us, than to glorify us with him. But in order to do that, he must suffer and die. And that is how he achieves our forgiveness and glory is through his shame. We oftentimes see Christ's cross and we hear about it in the sermon and we sing hymns about it. And we'll just yawn at it. Or we pass by, right by it, by his blessed cross, and we think nothing of it. Give it not another thought. We even avoid it. We look away. But the one thing that we turn our faces from is the one thing he turns his face to. The next verse in, in Luke chapter 9 says, When it came time for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. 
And he turned his face toward Jerusalem, toward the mockery, the shame, the pain, and the spit, and the thorns. And he didn't turn away from it because he would not turn away from you. His own rejection and pain is how he would accept you. And this, dear saints, the cross of Christ, his bitter suffering and death, is not a footnote in the Christian life. It is the very heart and center of Christianity. It's not something that we learn once about and then refer back to it later on and then watch it in the rearview mirror. No, Christ's death, his gospel, is the chief article of faith. Christ's death on the cross is the very center of the universe, the very center of your life. All of history is ordered around this event. And everything we have and do in the church is centered in and comes from and leads to his death and his resurrection. Romans chapter 6 says that this font is here because we were, ba- we were baptized with Jesus into his death. We were buried with Christ in his death. Paul says, I've decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Pulpits were built for one specific reason. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 11 says about the Lord's Supper that you will receive in a few moments, that as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You may think, look, okay, well, Christ already died. Let's move on to something else. But the entire host of heaven, all of the saints and in their glory in heaven disagree with you. And the very object of their worship, as Revelation 5 says, is Christ himself and what he accomplished on the cross. It says, Revelation 5, the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of the host of heaven were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. The very object and, and of their worship is the death of Christ. Now, if Jesus' suffering and death was the most important thing to him, then don't you think it should be the most important thing to us? If it is the main thing on his mind, then don't you think it should be the main thing in ours? And yes, it is. So repent of avoiding his cross and thinking little of it. Repent of yawning at his holy gospel or thinking that there's something more important or exciting to ever talk about than this. Repent of seeking God's glory apart from Christ's shame and death. And know that if Jesus brings a blessed end to his own suffering, which he did, an end to his own suffering and death, then he will bring a blessed end to yours as well. So as we end this epiphany season, where we saw the Lord do such amazing works, arranging the heavens, teaching in the temple as a young child, turning water into wine at his word, showing his glorious light through the flesh and the pores of his skin. We now look ahead to the greater and more glorious work that he's about to do on the cross. The chief purpose for which he came, which was not for glory, but to be rejected, to suffer disdain and contempt, to be forsaken on the cross.
where he will pour out his life for us, wipe away all of our sins, take away our guilt, erase our history, covering it with a flood of his blood and make us his own forever. So God bless you as we prepare for Lent and we meditate on all that he has done to save us. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.